0: Could a white helium balloon, or rather the sudden and violent deflation of it, derail hopes of a diplomatic thaw between China and the US? Beijing has accused Washington of irresponsibly shooting down its unmanned airship, which it claims was being used for meteorological purposes. For their part, US authorities are still searching for the balloon debris off the coast of South Carolina, labelling it as a high-altitude surveillance balloon who to believe. The war of words comes as the Lowy Institute releases its Asia Power Index, with the US claiming top billing. But while the pandemic has contained China to second place, the report also notes China's military might is quickly closing the gaps against its American counterpart. The project lead for the Asia Power Index is Susanna Patton. Welcome to RN Drive, Susanna. What did you make of how these two superpowers have handled this balloon incursion? Did did the US have any choice but to dispose of it in the way they did uh, via a missile shot out of a high-speed jet?
1: I think politically it would have been very difficult for the US to let this pass without um, without being seen to take action against this kind of pretty flagrant violation of U.S. sovereignty um, and territorial integrity. So I think it's it's not at all surprising that that the U.S. took this action, um, and that of course that means that the planned talks between um, U.S. Secretary of State Blinken and his Chinese counterpart weren't able to proceed. I think what's a bit less clear is is what the level of calculation on the Chinese side was. To what extent was this um, something that was planned for the top? from the top down or that happened in a kind of um, less less deliberate way at this time.
0: Yeah, uh, one suspects a surprising Zephyr from the wrong direction <laughs> could have been the cause of all of this uh, hoo-ha. I mean, China maintains it was a weather balloon, it blew off course. The US believes the balloon was monitoring sensitive military sites. Navy divers are right now working to recover the wreckage. How quickly are we going to work out what exactly was attached to this balloon in terms of surveillance equipment?
1: Well, I think this is one of those cases where the U.S. and China are very polarized in their positions, and ultimately, who you believe will probably depend a little bit on what you think about the United States and China. But I think there's there's very little doubt that what the U.S. says is is correct, and that this is you know a well-known um, surveillance um, surveillance device that China has has used. So that's I think I don't think that. really in question.
0: I think the rest of us laymen are just surprised that uh, balloons are still used in the age of uh, satellites. But let's move to the Asia Power Index. You look at two main factors here, resources and influence to rank the relative power of countries and territories in Asia, in our region. There are some undeniable power struggles between the US and China, as we've just been talking about, and the US has maintained its number one position in your power index. Why is it still there? Is it something about what America has done or is doing? Because there's some history and some cultural influences at play here, isn't there?
1: I think there's a combination of factors that explain why the United States still comes out as number one in our ranking of countries in Asia. I think the US has enduring advantages in terms of its economic strength, its technological sophistication, its investment in research and development, and also quite favourable demography in terms of its future outlook. So all of that gives the US some real advantages. And then the way that it has operated in Asia over the past 60 or more years has really been very much about building up very deep defence and security partnerships with countries in our region. So that's very hard for China to come along and quickly establish
0: itself as a, as a competitor. I mean, you attribute America's ranking to the strength of its economic relationships, but its cultural influence has plummeted. I mean, how, how do you rank something as intangible as cultural influence? And is it something that should really concern all Western powers in this day and age?
1: cultural influence is is very difficult to measure, you're right. So we use a combination of, of indicators that um, reflect, for example, people ties, so where students choose to study, where tourists choose to go, where people choose to migrate. And we also look at other factors like which country is of the most interest online in terms of search interest. And all of that enables us to build up a pretty accurate picture about which country is the most attractive. And in, and, and that data does, does support the finding that the United States is still much more attractive to, um, you know, in most countries in Asia than China is.
0: Let's talk about China. The pandemic really restrained China's growth in power in the region, uh, but its military is a different story, isn't it? What, what are you seeing in this space and how do you see that affecting its position of power in the region over the next few years?
1: Yeah, so the US military capability still overall remains ahead of what China has, but China has been investing assiduously and trying to close that gap, Um, and we've seen that in this year's edition that China has, has somewhat closed that gap between it and the United States. But I guess separate from the question of overall capability is the question of how those powers are being used by both the US and China. So even if China doesn't have a military that is truly equal to that, that the United States has, we've still seen China using those capabilities in much more assertive ways. We've seen that over the past year in the East China Sea, in the South China Sea, on the border with India, potentially now with this balloon flight. And so that really underscores the message that even if China doesn't completely catch up to the United States, it can still cause problems and challenge US power in various ways.
0: What about Australia? Where do we stand in all this? I mean, you had Kim Beasley, former US ambassador uh, ambassador to the US uh, on own Breakfast this morning, saying Australia it really is cementing its place as a middle power, but we are in a region dominated by much bigger powers. How does this power index reflect on Australia's interests?
1: Yeah, many Australians would be surprised that Australia does rank sixth overall in terms of countries in Asia even even ahead of South Korea and what that reflects is that Australia has a lot of advantages that a lot of other countries in our region don't in terms of our geography, um, our natural resilience, um, the fact that we're a wealthy country um, means that we have the capability and the opportunity to spend our money on you know building for example a strong diplomatic service on investing in our military capability and I guess in addition to those underlying factors we've also seen that over the past year the Albanese government has performed relatively well in Asia and that's something that comes through in our data which suggests that the Albanese government performance in Asia has been better than the Morrison government before it.
0: 27 minutes past four, RN Drive. Susanna Patton is here from the Lower Institute. We're talking about the new Asia Power Index and what it reveals. I mean, uh, Susanna, the pandemic really is the key issue that threaded this report together. You talk about countries in the region suffering from long COVID and that while lockdowns and border closures have eased for most countries, the long-term effects of the pandemic are still holding countries back. Just expand on that for me. Where are we seeing that? What countries are most affected by that?
1: Well, I think China is the most affected because its lockdown and strict border closure policies were uh, were much longer and more protracted than any other country in Asia. And so, we've really seen the pandemic affect China's connections with the rest of Asia in terms of people connections, business connections, even the flow of capital. Um, But the pandemic has also had an impact for everyone else as well and we found that in our data, particularly in the area of economic security, so countries emerged from the pandemic often more reliant on a primary trading partner, sometimes with less diversified exports and so that means that the countries in our region are less resilient um, and less economically secure than they were three years ago before the pandemic.
0: I can't let you go without asking about Japan. Your report notes the clock is ticking on Japan's smart power influence. What's smart power influence and what does it mean you know, in terms of the country's progress or future?
1: Well, Japan has been called by, by previous editions of the Asia Power Index, the quintessential smart power, meaning that it's had influence, which has far exceeded the resources that it has. And that's in terms of its cultural power, its economic relationships with countries in the region. But that that advantage is slowly being eroded. And Japan is quite, rapidly becoming a less important source of trade and investment for countries in our region. And at the same time, Japan is trying to establish itself as a more active security player in the region, but that is happening more slowly than its economic advantages are eroding. So that casts some real questions about the future of Japanese power in Asia.
0: So fascinating. So much is changing. Project lead for the Lowy Institute's Asia Power Index, Susanna Patton. Thanks for your time tonight.
1: You're welcome. Find more
0: great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC
1: Listen app.